Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you would, get your Bibles out and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter, the third chapter. That's where we're going to begin in just a moment. We will be in the Bible just a whole bunch this evening. And so you need to get your Bible out, get it working, whether it's a paper Bible or a digital Bible, whatever you're using tonight, a scroll, whatever it takes. Let's all be looking in the Scriptures together for these next few minutes. It is great to see everybody tonight. Uh, it's been just a, actually, actually been a quite a pleasant day here for the early uh, part of December. I hope that you've had a good afternoon, and I'm glad to have this second opportunity to worship together and to study together from the Word of God. And I trust right now that you are ready to involve yourselves in the Word of God. Let's read in 1 Peter chapter 3. This is in verse 8. In 1 Peter 3 and in verse 8, Peter says, Finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. We've all probably heard the phrase, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. You're familiar with that phrase, aren't you? We hear that expression quite often. What you might not know, though, is the origins of that expression. That expression actually didn't come around until about 1895, it's believed, and it was derived from a poem that actually was written by a lady by the name of Mary Lathrop. The poem is titled, Judge Softly. And I'd like to read just a couple of uh, excerpts from that particular poem because it really helps to get our minds exactly where I want them to go for our study this evening. The poem goes a little something like this. It says, Don't find fault with the man that limps or stumbles along the road unless you've worn the moccasins he wears or stumbled beneath the same load. There may be tears in his souls that hurt, though hidden away from view, the burden that he bears placed on your back may cause you to stumble and fall too. Don't be too harsh with the man that sins or pelt him with words, stone, or disdain unless you're sure you have no sins of your own and it's only wisdom and love that your heart contains. Just walk a mile in his moccasins before you abuse, criticize, and accuse. If just for one hour you could find a way to see through his eyes instead of your own. Brother, there but for the grace of God go you and I. So just for a moment slip into his mind and traditions and see the world through his spirit and his eyes before you cast a stone or falsely judge his condition. Remember to walk a mile in his moccasins and remember that compassionate feeling. We can forever leave tracks in another person's life, leaving heartache or bringing healing. What that poem is calling for is, I believe, the same thing that our text in 1 Peter chapter 3 is calling for. And that is the need for empathy. Notice I didn't say sympathy, but empathy. Not just feeling bad for someone in 1 Peter 3, not just feeling bad for our brother or for our sister in Christ, but trying to understand what he or she is going through. In fact, this idea of walking a mile in another person's shoes, this isn't just something that we need to do with other Christians. It's actually something that we need to do with our fellow man in a general sense. Think about it. If I were just to ask you, what has been the cause for much of the political division in our nation these past few years? 
Or what's been the reason here in 2020 for all of the contentiousness surrounding COVID-19 and different people's responses to that? Or what's been the reason for much of the racial conflict that continues to plague our country? The answer, I believe, is a lack of empathy. Our society seems to have lost the ability to feel what another person is feeling, to see things through someone else's eyes and then take action from a place of love and understanding rather than a place of harsh judgment. You need to know that that's not just a problem for our society out there. That's oftentimes also a problem for the people of God. We do not always possess the kind of compassionate hearts that Peter's calling for here in 1 Peter 3. The kind of heart that helps us to be a blessing in the lives of others, which is why I do believe that the Bible talks so much about the need for empathy, and that's because we as Christians regularly need to be stirred to be empathetic. And if you're thinking to yourself this evening, well, Josh, I don't, I don't really have any trouble with that. i got a lot of empathy. Okay, great, good for you, but, but I have trouble with it. I do. I will readily confess to you this evening that I have lots of trouble with being empathetic on a consistent basis. And I need all of the help that I can get to have more empathy in my dealings and in my relationships with others. And so tonight, tonight it's all about empathy. I think this is a very timely and needful lesson for everybody. What I want to do tonight is I want to start just by building a strong biblical foundation that we can stand on. I want you to see just how much the Bible has to say about this, the priority of empathy, so that we can then make three direct applications of this much-needed quality. Are you ready for that? Maybe we ought to start just by getting a handle on this critter known as empathy. Because unless you're reading from a really, really newfangled translation of the Bible, most likely you're not going to see that word actually in the Scriptures. What you're liable to see, though, is other words that aren't very close to it, maybe even of the same family as that word. You're going to see words like, like sympathy, as is used here in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. That word sympathy comes from the same word family as empathy. The root of that is the word pathos, which means feeling or emotion. You'll also see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8 that term tender-heartedness. Or your translation might render that as be compassionate. Or one translation, I really like it, says be understanding. I think there is a reason that the Bible doesn't just say have sympathy for folks. And that's because the idea of sympathy alone, it doesn't go far enough. Sympathy might cause us to have, to have pity on someone. We feel sorry for someone. We maybe would even go to that person and say, Hey, I, I, I know how you feel. I, I've experienced something very similar in my life. But you know what? Empathy takes that a step further. Empathy says, Hey, even if I haven't experienced what you're experiencing... Even if I don't understand what it is that you're feeling right now, I'm going to try. I'm going to attempt to understand. We might then define empathy as this. Empathy is the vicarious experiencing of another person's feelings or thoughts or attitude. That is, I'm going to put myself in their shoes so that I can feel what they are feeling. Now, at this point, 
the stuff that I'm saying here, it really does run the risk of sounding really touchy-feely and gushy and sentimental and so forth. But I want you to see this evening that it is straight up biblical. It is. Let's run some passages. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 12, please. In 1 Corinthians 12, as Paul talks here about the church... And he uses the metaphor of a body, that we are the body of Christ. And he describes in this chapter how the body, of course, has many members. It has hands, it has feet, it has ears, it has eyes, etc., etc. And then beginning in verse 21, he explains how every member is needed in the body. Every member is important. Each part needs to be working together. He then says this in 1 Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 25, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Do you see there what Paul is talking about? This idea of suffering with or rejoicing with, that's empathy. It's not the word, but that's empathy. That we feel what our brother or our sister is feeling. We are going to share in that emotion. We're going to share in their experience, even if we've never even experienced it ourselves. And that is how things work in a body, don't they? A couple weeks ago, Hattie was in the bathroom brushing her teeth... And she got a little, uh, shall we say, overzealous with the toothbrush. I mean, she was just really going at it in there. And she ended up, with the plastic edge of her toothbrush, she ended up banging her top tooth that was, it was loose. It was was getting close to being ready to come out. But when she banged it, it knocked that tooth sideways, kind of turned it crooked up in there. And that thing just almost instantaneously, it just started gushing blood. She had all the foam built up in her mouth and all of it immediately turned red. Hattie, of course, had never seen that much blood come out of her before. So she starts freaking out. She starts doing an Indian rain dance just right there on the spot. She's panicking. She is crying. Tiffany goes and gets some toilet paper. and I grab and hold Hattie in place and Tiffany reaches in there and she yanked the thing out pretty smoothly and within a matter of minutes things calmed down and kind of got back to normal. But what's really interesting to me about that is that for those few minutes where that little bitty tooth was twisted up inside her gums, what's interesting to me is just how many other parts of Hattie's body were affected by that and suffered by that. Her face got pale. And she started to break out into a cold sweat. Her stomach got queasy and she thought she was going to throw up. Her head got got dizzy and she started feeling a little bit lightheaded. Here's my question about that. Was there anything wrong with her head? Was there anything wrong with her stomach? No. The only thing that was hurt was that little bitty tooth up there. And yet the rest of the body was suffering along with it. And Paul says, so it is in the body of Christ. If one of my brothers or one of my sisters is hurting, then I need to hurt with them. Or I need to rejoice with them. I need to come alongside them and I need to feel what they are feeling. Paul says something very similar in Romans. In Romans the 12th chapter... As Paul is giving this list of of identifying marks of being a true disciple, he says in Romans 12 and in verse 15, he says, Rejoice with them who rejoice. 
and weep with those who weep. I want you to notice there that Paul does not say, show pity when others are sad. Paul does not say, do nice things for people whenever they're feeling bad. No. Paul says, when they cry, you cry. When they're happy, you be happy. It is a direct transfer of emotions. That before I ever do anything for them, the first thing that needs to be present is empathy. That feeling, that emotion. Look at Matthew the 7th chapter. Let's let Jesus talk to us about this. In Matthew chapter 7, this is in the Sermon on the Mount. And you'll remember here in chapter 7, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus has already talked a little bit about being careful how you judge. Because the measure that you judge, that's going to be the same standard that's going to be used to judge you. And so Jesus says, hey, you need to be willing to do a little bit of role reversal to make sure that you render proper judgment to others. He then caps all of that off in verse 12 by saying this, Matthew 7 verse 12, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Jesus says that in order for me to be pleasing to God, I need to get good at trading places with others. Notice the command is not, do unto others what I think they deserve. No. No, the command is, do unto others as if I were in their shoes. What would I want done to me if I was in their situation? Have you ever been... Have you ever involved, been involved in an automobile accident where, where you were rear-ended by someone else? Man, that, that is just the worst, isn't it? Have you ever been involved in an accident where you were the one who did the rear-ending? Now that is way worse, isn't it? And I can speak from experience because I've been involved in both of those scenarios. You know, when you are the one at fault and you are the one to blame for rear-ending somebody... When you get kind of settled down and all right, it's, it's stopped and you realize you're okay and it's, you know, the damage isn't you know, colossal or anything, when that other person opens up their door and they get out and they start walking toward you, what is it in that moment that you are hoping they're going to do? Well, what you're hoping is that they're not going to grab their neck and start going, ah, ah, ah. What you're hoping is that they're not going to be cussing and creating a big scene or a bigger scene than it already is. What you're hoping is is that they're going to be merciful, that they're going to be understanding. What you're hoping is that they're going to look at it and say, hey, you know what, it's, it, it's not that big of a deal. I think I can paint over that. Hey, you're, you're good to go. Well, we need to think about that. When maybe the roles are reversed, whenever I am the one who is on the receiving end of being rear-ended, as upsetting as that is, as inconvenient as that is, as much as I want to get out and tell that other driver, what were you thinking here and shake my fist at them? Jesus says, I need to go through this very exercise of thinking about and feeling what that other person is feeling. I need to do that so that I can then act properly and respond appropriately. The very golden rule that undergirds so much of New Testament teaching, it calls for empathy, doesn't it? Look with me in the book of Hebrews now. In Hebrews chapter 13. In Hebrews 13, the writer here, he speaks about an issue that was very particular to those first century Christians who were being persecuted on account of the gospel. 
But the principle here, it still applies for us today. In Hebrews 13, I'm looking in verse 3. Hebrews 13, verse 3, the writer says, Remember those who are in prison. That's your brothers and sisters who've been taken off into jail. Remember them as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Would you please notice once again that the command is not, Hey, you need to get down there and take food to your brothers and sisters in prison. The command is not, hey, you need to send a card or a letter to your brother or your sister in prison. No. Now, those are good things to do. And those are things that we probably should be doing. But the command first and foremost is to remember them as though you were there with them. The writer's saying you need to empathize with their suffering. I'm afraid that all too often we see a brother or a sister who is suffering in some way and... Okay, I need to do something, so, so we do a good deed for them. And then we feel as if, okay, well, I've, I've now done my duty. I've fulfilled my obligation toward them. I'm, I'm done. But I believe that this passage says otherwise. That when I feel what they feel, when I imagine what it is that they are going through, actually what that does is it expands my responsibility. It expands my compassion toward them. You think, for example, about... Think, for example, about a sister whose husband has died. They've been married for a number of years, and he passes away. That's just always such a devastating loss. Okay, our mind immediately goes to, well, what can we do for this sister? As she's in this situation, to trying to, what can we do for her? Well, we can do a lot of things. We, we could send her flowers. We could write her a card and have a, have a note written in there to try to encourage her. We could go to the funeral services and pay our respects there. We can let that sister know, hey, I'm praying for you. And all of those are, are good things. They're needful things. They are important things to do. And all of those things, they come from a place of love. But usually when we do those kindnesses in that circumstance, those things are usually kind of wrapped up and done within, within what? A week? A couple weeks? Maybe three or four weeks at the most? Can I ask you... Is our sister's sorrow all gone and all done with after a couple of weeks? Probably not. That's why I'm suggesting to you that we need to do better than that. We need to place ourselves in her shoes. Because when we do that, what we're going to come to realize is that her grief, her pain, it's probably much greater than what we have rendered to her. When we have empathy for her, for example, we're going to come to be more mindful of things like how painful it is for her to go home each night and to lay down in the bed by herself. That her spouse is no longer with her in that bed. We are mindful of the loneliness that she feels day by day. When we're out doing things with other couples, empathy is going to cause us to say, hey, could we invite our sister in? She's so lonely. She's, she's outside of us. She's, she's isolated. Can we bring her in and involve her? Empathy causes us to make it a point to check on her, not just in those first couple of weeks after the death, but we're going to check on her regularly, especially on those hard days like a birth date or an anniversary or the holidays. Sympathy says, I want to do something to show that I'm sorry for her loss, and that's good. But empathy takes it a step further and it says, I want to understand how she feels as a result of her loss, and then I want to take actions to help her. 
That is the kind of mentality and thinking that drives us to deeper connection with others. It is what helps us to foster greater unity in the body of Christ. We just got done singing that song. I appreciate Cody leading that a moment ago. How sweet, how heavenly. And that second verse in the song gets me every time when it says, when each can feel his brother's sigh and with him bear a part, when sorrow flows from eye to eye and joy from heart to heart. That, that's what we're going for, isn't it? That is the goal. And of course, that's the goal within the body of Christ. But the reason that members in the body of Christ need empathy is because, well, is because the head of the body, Jesus Christ, He has empathy. And the Bible goes out of its way to speak of the empathy of the head, Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of feeling with others. If you're still here in Hebrews, turn back to chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer tells us here why it is that Jesus is the perfect candidate to be our high priest, to be a go-between between us and God. In Hebrews chapter 4, I'm reading here in verse 14. In Hebrews 4 and in verse 14, the writer says this, he says, since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you see it there? Do you see how Jesus is able to feel what we feel? Why? Because He very literally put Himself in our shoes. He came to earth to feel temptation. And not just temptation, as this passage points out, but He came to earth to feel loss and pain and hunger and thirst and exhaustion and sadness and gladness and frustration and betrayal and death. Jesus felt all of the things that we feel because He knows what it's like. In fact, look across the page in chapter 2 of Hebrews. In Hebrews chapter 2, the Hebrew writer says it this way in verse 17. In Hebrews chapter 2 and in verse 17, there he writes, Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest and the servant of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus went to extraordinary lengths in order to fully empathize with us. What we're going through, Jesus understands it. Maybe one of the greatest illustrations of that in Jesus' life is in John the 11th chapter. In John the 11th chapter and in verse 35, probably the most famous verse to little children because it's the shortest verse in the Bible. That's the verse that says, Jesus wept. And of course, the context of that passage is important. Because what has Jesus done? Well, Jesus has traveled all the way to the little village of Bethany to be with His friends Mary and Martha as they are grieving the loss of their brother Lazarus. And even though Jesus knew that He was going to raise Lazarus from the dead in about five minutes, the very first thing that He did was go and to weep with them. I'm reading here in John the 11th chapter. Notice how Jesus just embodies this principle of weeping with those who weep. In John chapter 11 and in verse 33, it says there that when Jesus saw Mary weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, He was deeply moved in His spirit and greatly troubled. 
And then verse 35 says that Jesus wept. I want you to notice here that Jesus really isn't even weeping over the fact that Lazarus has died. Again, Jesus knows Lazarus is about to wake up. Jesus is weeping because they are weeping. He is feeling their sorrow and He makes it His sorrow too. And I find that to be just truly incredible. I can worship a God who was willing to come here and put on flesh in order to feel what we feel. I'm so thankful that God didn't look down from heaven and say, "Ah, I just don't understand them. I don't get these people. I'm not like them. I can't relate to them. No! I am glad that God gives me a Savior who I can truly empathize with because He empathizes with me. He shows me what empathy is all about. Now, of course, we could just keep stacking up verses here. But I think this is sufficient to show just how central empathy is to New Testament Christianity. If we're going to be the disciples of Jesus, if we're going to walk in His footsteps, if we're going to be like Christ then we're going to have to be people who are characterized by empathy. And I want to just say right here, I don't think that there is any kind of formula for developing empathy. I don't have some three-point plan on how you can share better in the feelings of others. I don't know of any simple method. All I know is we just got to do it. But maybe what helps us to do it is when we understand some of the benefits of empathy. Let me just spend these last couple of minutes sharing with you three of those benefits of empathy, that if we will seek to have empathy for others, we will develop some very important qualities that every child of God needs to possess. And let's just start that right at the top. When you have empathy, you will develop more patience and more long-suffering with the weak. I'm looking for 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul is giving this final set of instructions to the Thessalonian brethren. And he then says something that I just very personally find to be very, very challenging. In 1 Thessalonians 5, this is verse 14, Paul says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. You know, sometimes when it comes to the weak, we want the weak to get strong just overnight. We want babes in Christ to grow to maturity like, like yesterday. We want everybody to be fully developed disciples right now. But the fact is, that's not the way that it works. There will always be folks who have varying degrees of weakness within the body of Christ. And so when we step into their shoes and we feel what they feel, when we try to understand the struggles that they are experiencing, that helps us to be a little more patient and a little more long-suffering with them. When we take the time to ask ourselves, man, why are they acting this way? What is it that's going on in their lives that is contributing to this? What maybe has happened in their past that is causing them to still have difficulty with this? Uh, Who or what is influencing them to think this way or to be like this? Those are good questions. Those are questions that show empathy and help us to suffer long with them. In fact, when we don't have empathy, then patience and long-suffering, they just go right out of the window. And instead, we end up just kind of plowing right over people who really could have used our help. We miss out on opportunities to bear with the infirmities of the weak, Romans 15 verse 1 says. 
you know, I'll just say to you, there are certain struggles and weaknesses that people have that I do not understand. There are sins that certain people wrestle with that I, my knee-jerk reaction is to just step back and to say, I, I don't get it. What in the world? Well, why does that appeal to you? Well, why don't you involve yourself in that? I just don't get it. Well, you know what? The Bible's teaching me that I need to try to get it. I do. I need to try to understand. Because the truth is, I've probably got some weaknesses of my own that others would look at and say, I don't understand that. I don't know why that's a problem for him. They would say the exact same thing about me. And so if I want people to be patient with me because, hey, I'm trying, I'm working on that, I'm trying to overcome that, then I need as well to have that same patience with others. And this is where I want to make it absolutely clear that empathy does not mean that we're going to wink at sin or we're going to overlook sin or we're just going to put up with people who are being outright rebellious or hard-hearted. No. But when my brother or my sister is trying to overcome the weaknesses and difficulties that are hindering their walk with Christ, when I see my brother or sister that despite their weaknesses, they are trying to be conformed to the image of Christ, I need to have patience with them and empathy is what's going to get me there. Look with me in John the 8th chapter, please. In John chapter 8, this is the story of the woman who had been caught in the very act of adultery. And you remember that story well. What did Jesus do to diffuse that situation? Of course, very famously, Jesus said in verse 7 to those scribes and those Pharisees who had caught her in the act, He said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. What was the point of that statement? I believe the point of that statement was to cause those guys to think of their own sin and then imagine what is it that you would want people to do to you if you were standing in this woman's shoes right now. And I imagine that as they dropped their stones, they thought to themselves, I, I'd want mercy. I'd want forgiveness. I want you to notice as well in verse 11, Jesus doesn't wink at this woman's sin. Jesus does not ignore or gloss over her sin. No, He tells her in verse 11, you go and sin no more. But He says that not before He humanizes her and He encourages her because He recognizes she is a weak creature and she needs patience and she needs time to grow. When we have empathy, it provides us with more long-suffering toward those who are weak. Secondly, empathy helps us to develop more long-term consistency in prayer and in service to others. You know, I am just by nature a fixer. I am. I'm a fixer. I think a lot of other guys are fixers. That is, whenever I encounter some kind of problem in life, I want to immediately find a solution. I want to fix that problem so that I can then dust my hands off and move to the next thing. Done. Problem solved. But one of the aggravations that I have encountered in my walk as a Christian is that many times spiritual problems are not always as simple as, oh, fix that, done, moving on to the next thing. It just doesn't always work that way. And that is especially the case when it comes to praying for and rendering service in the need of others. So for example, let's say, let's say we have a brother in Christ and he's going through a tough time. Maybe for example, he's been diagnosed with some terrible disease. 
Well, for far too long, my MO has been, all right, I need to pray for that brother. And so when the announcement is first made and I first hear about what's going on with him, I pray for him and I pray fervently for him for, for a day or maybe even two or three days or maybe even a week or two. But then, but then after a few days, the tendency is for him to kind of drop off of the list and, and well, somebody or something else moves up to the top of that list. Or, you know, maybe there's an opportunity for me to serve this brother, to help in, in some kind of tangible way, okay? Did that, went over there, helped him, gave him an hour or two, fixed that, done, moving on. And the aggravation that I have discovered in my life is that I am often lacking consistency. That what I have trouble with is maintaining those fervent prayers, maintaining those acts of service in the long-term view. And what I've come to realize, certainly in the course of this study, but even before this, is that the missing ingredient to making that happen is empathy. That maybe there was some sympathy there. There was some pity there. I felt sorry for what my brother was going through, but, but that's not going to be enough to sustain those prayers, to sustain that service for the long haul. I need to feel what he's feeling so that I can be there for him for however long it may take. You think about in marriage, this is so needful in marriage. We've been talking about marriage this year. Marriage is intended to be what? Talked about it last Sunday morning. It's intended to be a lifelong commitment. And so what that means is that means we're going to need some kind of ingredient that can help us to have that long-term consistency in this relationship. Where we're going to have serving taking place. We're going to have concern for one another taking place. Not just in the beginning, during those early stages, the honeymoon phase. But we want that to last for the lifetime of our marriage, don't we? You don't believe me about that? Look with me in 1, Timothy, or excuse me, in 1 Peter chapter 3. That ingredient, I believe, that's needed is empathy. And husbands, you would do well to particularly pay attention to this passage. In 1 Peter 3, husbands are specifically commanded by God to be empathetic with their wives. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm looking at verse 7. Peter writes, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. I need to try to understand my wife. As hard as that sometimes is, that's what I need to do. I need to step into her shoes. I need to try to see what she sees and feel what she feels so that I can honor her and I can serve her throughout the lifetime of our marriage. And I think that principle of empathy, it does go for wives as well, even though it's not specifically mentioned here. But the point is, empathy helps us to be consistent and to have a continual mind of prayer and service to others and not just the, well, did that done, handshaking, moving on. No. Can I make, can I make what I think is a very timely application of this point here? It seemed as if pretty much everybody was very sympathetic to doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals and other frontline workers whenever the COVID-19 pandemic began back in March or so. There were lots of prayers going up, lots of concern for those folks who we knew were going to have to be on the front line, they were going to have to be dealing with this virus you know, right here out of the gate, and man, it was going to be hard for them. But it seems as if somewhere along the way, here we are you know, going on 10 months into this thing, Somewhere along the way, we all got, or at least a lot of us got, really, really tired of it all. 
We got beat down by it all. We just got kind of tired of hearing about it. We got tired of talking about it. And unfortunately what that means is that means that our concern and our prayers and our service toward those folks who are at the front trying to help and trying to be a, a blessing to others, somewhere along the way that concern for them began to, it began to diminish. And yet despite that, COVID-19, it is still here. It is still a reality for those folks. It is very much a burden for them as they have to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Can I just say once again, we need some empathy here. We need to feel the weight of what they have had to deal with, the anxieties and the stresses that they are experiencing. We want to feel that so that we can continue to lift them up, to lift them up in prayer, to support them and to help them all the way through to the end of this thing. Empathy is what provides us the consistency that oftentimes we are lacking. Which brings me to this third and final benefit of empathy. And that is that whenever we have empathy, I believe that we will develop we will develop more adaptability and urgency in evangelism. You know, it seems that whenever we talk about evangelism, or at least when I talk about evangelism, we, many times we frame that discussion in terms of, of our responsibility to be evangelistic. It's our duty to be evangelistic and to share the gospel. And, and that is true. Don't misunderstand me. We do have a responsibility to share the good news with the lost. But I got to thinking... How much more powerful would it be if we had empathy for those who are outside of Jesus Christ? What if we thought more along the lines of, what is it like to be lost? How does it feel to be outside of Christ? What is this unsaved person, what do they need right now? The truth of the matter is, it shouldn't be all that hard for us to have empathy for the lost considering that at one time, we were all in that position. I'm looking for Ephesians chapter 2 now. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul does some of this kind of walking in the shoes of a lost person as he reminds these Ephesians of what they once were. In Ephesians 2 and in verse 1, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul says to the Ephesian folks, he says, Do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember what a wretched feeling that was? To be held captive by the devil? To be someone who was groping, lost in the darkness? Do you remember what it felt like to be dead in sin? That's what lost people are experiencing every single day that they remain outside of Christ. What do those people need? What they need is what's talked about in verses 4 down through 10. They need the grace of God. They need faith in Jesus Christ to be saved from their sins. That's what Paul talks about. They need those things. And if I were a lost person, well, what then do I need somebody to say to me? And how do I need them to say it to me? And furthermore, when do I need them to say it to me? Empathy. Empathy is what pushes us for ways to tell the lost, to show the lost the saving faith that's found in Jesus Christ and to do that with great urgency. If you were to see somebody drowning out in the middle of Lake Cumberland, when's the time to throw them a lifeline? Now! 
Why? Because they're going to die if we don't. In that moment, doesn't matter what's going on in that person's life. In that moment, all the problems that they have, all the baggage that they might be carrying, the messed up family that they come from, all of that, it doesn't matter in that moment. All we know is that this person is going to die and so we've got to move swiftly. When you and I encounter lost people, it is not hard for us to imagine the dire consequences that they are in because we were once in their shoes. And there, but for the grace of God, that could have been me. Praise God that somebody, for you maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a friend or a co-worker, but somebody was willing to throw you that lifeline and share the gospel before it was too late. When we have empathy for the law, suddenly evangelism, it's, it's no longer a duty, it's no longer a responsibility, it's no longer a chore on our checklist. It's a privilege. It is an honor that we can be a conduit for God's blessings. I get to help someone else know and then receive the gift of salvation. Empathy. Empathy makes us into the kind of soul winners that the Lord is looking for. Now, we could certainly extend this list and we could talk about a host of other benefits to having empathy, but I think this is a really good start. The challenge for you and I this evening is to tap into that reservoir of feeling and emotion that I believe that God has placed within all of us. And for us to then try as best we can to walk a mile in another person's shoes so that we can understand and we can help. In Ezekiel the third chapter, one final verse, here's your homework for this week. Ezekiel was sent to the captives in Babylon. And he was charged with delivering a message to them that in all likelihood they were not going to want to hear. And so before he ever even spoke the first word to those people, we're told this in Ezekiel 3 and in verse 15, Ezekiel said, Then I came to the captives at Tel Aviv who dwelt by the river Kibar, and I sat where they sat, and I remained there astonished among them, for seven days. This week, who can you do that for? In what way? This week, look for opportunities. In what way this week can you demonstrate empathy for another person by sitting where they have sat? That is the challenge for us this week. And may God help us to have greater empathy. Would you pray with me please? Let's go to God in prayer. Our Almighty God and our Father in heaven, we come before you this evening so thankful to you for your word and for how your word speaks so abundantly and so powerfully about a subject that oftentimes we just fail you in. Father, we thank you for the empathy that your Son has demonstrated toward each and every one of us. and We pray, Father, that as we strive to walk in his footsteps and to be more like him, that we would strive to be better in having greater empathy towards others who are around us. Father, there are so many directions in which that needs to be practiced. We pray that you would just open up our eyes and help us to see the need in all facets of our life. Help us, Father, that we might not be judgmental and harsh in our dealings with others, but instead 
that we would have a heart that seeks to understand and to feel with them so that we might be a blessing to them. We thank you for your love and your grace and your kindness toward us and how you've been empathetic with us. We thank you for the gift of your Son. Through all these things are made possible. And it is in His name that we offer this prayer. And amen.